think it's part of the joy of getting older. It's interesting though to go through it backwards because I was terrified of sounding stupid when I was first going through school. And then as a professor, that was my job, was to step back and say, these two things go together, how do you put them together? I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. All the best jobs I've had in my life, I wasn't qualified for when I started them. I didn't have the skill, but I did have the potential. And I've been fortunate that people hired me because I was capable of growing into what was needed. Looking back, I've been lucky beyond belief that I've had bosses, teachers, and mentors who saw something in me that I wasn't able to see in myself. I could feel it, perhaps. I suspect it was in the shadowy motivation that set me on a certain path. But one thing for sure, any job I've had that was worth doing was one that tapped a capacity that was in the process of unfolding. The edges are interesting places. Consider where the ocean meets the land, the bark of trees, shapes of leaves, how cloud formations tell us something of the character of the atmosphere, how our own feelings are a way of sensing the outer world. It's the differences that make life interesting and frightening and altogether mysterious. The world that I grew up in rewarded knowing and a sense of stability. I suspect it is, to some degree, being the offspring of ancestors who ran for their lives from a country that didn't want our type, or that my grandparents and their generation were forced into building their own businesses because big companies, they weren't hiring Jews. They had to scratch out their own living. The troubles that my grandparents and my great-grandparents faced built a kind of resiliency in them, and I suspect that I am the lucky recipient of that. If there is a genetic aspect to sticking with something in the face of not knowing what an outcome might be, I suspect I might have those genes. In fact, I suspect that we all do. The uncertainties of life, regardless of our station in life, are rooted in a deep sense of uncertainty in how life unfolds. And if you think there is certainty, then, well, you're certainly in for a surprise. How alive we are at any stage of life is a reflection of how we are engaging the uncertainties of the moment. For a toddler, the uncertainty might be getting one foot in front of the other. For the high school student, it's how do I fit into this world? And I suspect that is a question that we never stop asking. How do I fit? Where do I belong? And what does this moment have to offer me? And what do I have to offer it? Yeah, The best jobs are the ones that you don't know how to do when you first begin them. The best jobs are those that use the skills we already have, but that encourage us to continually refine and develop who we might yet become. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Megan Bullock. She is at the beginning of her journey of learning Chinese medicine, but she brings a lifetime of experience from a previous career in psychology and teaching to this endeavor. She reached out to ask me some questions about business and marketing for a class that she's taking on practice management. It seemed like a good idea to record this conversation and share it with others who might have the same questions and inquiry that Megan so generously brought to this conversation. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? 
Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Whether you're a student imagining your future practice, a new practitioner looking to build your business, or a clinician with a stable practice and always on the lookout for ways to improve your business, I think that you're going to find the questions posed by Megan to be helpful and worth your consideration. Let's get into it. 
Hi, my name is Megan Bulla, and I'm the host of Keological today um, with Michael Max. We're going to be interviewing our usual host for my business of Chinese medicine class to pick his brain about why he decided to have a podcast and what it means to have a podcast and um, what it's what it's like to be sort of the person in this community who's bringing in questions that all of us are curious about, but not necessarily have the space to have the conversations. All right. Well, gosh, that sounds like a lot. Now I'm a little nervous. <laughs> That's two of us. <laughs> so where do you want to start? So what I, um, so I'll give you a little bit of the background for what I'm doing. I am, um, I'm taking a business in Chinese medicine class at uh, the National University of Natural Medicine out in Portland. And uh, one of our assignments is to network. And it's- God, I hate that word. I know, right? You hate that and word? I hate network. That Every time word. I hear network, I'm like, oh God, isn't well, there something else I need to be doing? I, I need, you know what? I need to clean the kitchen. That's what exactly. I need. Exactly. Well, yeah. Well, mine was actually full laundry. Um, but it's um, it's particularly, it's a strange word when, so I'm almost 50 and I've had a bunch of different careers and this is my first semester back in school after, you know, I've got a PhD in psychology and I've been teaching at universities and opening universities for 15 years. Oh my God, and you know what? I should have a podcast conversation with you, but we can do that another time. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a series. <laughs> we'll call it uh, Weird Life Changes. But I, um, I hadn't really um, thought about what it meant to be back in school. And so this assignment comes up to network in the field. And my experience of networking in the field are things like conferences where you're giving a paper. Those in the time of COVID. Right. And so even like state or local meetups or conferences are are all going to be virtual. And I realized that the sorts of things that I was interested in knowing about had less to do with, you know, glad handing and handing out business cards. Oh my God. You know what? Glad handing never works. I know. I, don't, right? I mean, I don't, well, does it, is it that it never works? It never brought me patience directly. And in terms of handing out business cards, um, I've heard people say this. Now, I should probably let people know I am a contrary cuss. <laughs> when everyone's going one way, I tend to, you know, when everyone's zigging, I'm zagging. I, I just, I've been that way my whole life. People say, this is the way it is. And I go, really? Mm-hmm. You know, I just, just my character. So I know people that say, oh yeah, you get in business, you get your cards, you give them out to everybody. You're in the line at the supermarket. Hi, I'm an acupuncture. Give them your card. I never give out my cards unless somebody asks me. If they ask me, I'm happy to give them one. But if they don't ask, I consider it spam. I'm not spamming people with my business card. I don't want them to look at my business card and go, oh, yeah, that weirdo in the line. I love that. I don't want that. I want them to go, ooh, right, that dude I talked to. Ooh, I got his card. I want it to have value. And it's only got value if it's wanted, if it's asked for. So the question for me becomes, 
how do you have a conversation in a way that people go, oh, I want to know more about what you do? Which is exactly why we're having this conversation, is that I couldn't imagine being on a Zoom call with 50 people as a, you know, quote unquote conference no. for an assignment. Well, so I said, how yeah. can I make this something that's interesting? And that, you know, um, one of the, one of the things I'm really grateful for in going back to school is there's a lot of those moments where you have that kind of bubble mm. sort of just above your diaphragm where you're like, oh my God, that is so cool. Or I never thought about how those things would get fit, you know, those would fit together like that. Or, oh, no way. So I wanted to have one of those conversations as opposed to a staring at another Zoom screen for another five hours. Yeah. And so here we are. Yeah. So <laughs> that feeling that you describe of that bubble above your diaphragm where you go, ooh, it's a little bit exciting. You know, it's a little bit scary. It's enlivening. I think that is the, um, that's the thing you want to create with anyone that you're talking to about the work and the business that you do. Oh, yeah. Right. If you can somehow craft a connection with somebody mm -hmm. and that something like that arises, now you've got a connection, right? You've got an emotional connection. I think often when we're doing marketing and business and stuff like that, it, you know, it's all about, it's a very intellectual thing. I'm doing these, you know, I'm doing these things that the experts tell me to do. I'm ticking these boxes. I'm shaking a bunch of hands. Well, no one shakes hands anymore. But, um, thank God. God, I yeah. hate that. I know. <laughs> it was good for introverts. But somehow creating that, that sense of connection that you just talked about, that's what, I don't like using the word hook because that sounds so manipulative, mm -hmm. but it, it, it opens a kind of a door and it, and it creates, you know, like an open thoroughfare of, of connecting, right? In Chinese, we have this word tong. Mm -hmm. Tong means to, to open or to connect or, or to communicate. Or like if, if um, there's obstruction in the channels, we go to like open up the obstruction. We tong the channel, we open the channel. I think when it comes to making these connections to, you know, air quotes or build our business, we're looking to create that sense of tongue. Right. And, and I love it that you've got this visceral feeling that goes with it mm -hmm. because you can, can know what that feels like. <laughs> you can know the kinds of experiences that bring it. Mm -hmm. and, and you can invite that into your conversations with people. Right. Well, and I wonder, um, one of the things that I think brought me to this medicine. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah. <laughs> Almost a um, psychologist. You got this great job at this cool school in Vermont. And you went well, to actually, elementary school? I was in Vietnam. Um, in I Vietnam. Was, okay, we were opening and university in Vietnam. And um, we, uh, my partner, my husband and I um, were, he was the chief academic officer and I was the, this is the best title in the world, chief institutional culture, innovation and assessment officer, which 
effectively meant that I was holding on to the heart of the school. That was uh-huh. that was supposed to be my job. Wow. Um, and for another conversation, uh, the whole thing went sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about different cultures and you think about the history between America and Vietnam, and you think about the history of Vietnam between the North and the South Vietnamese, there's we needed we needed a lot of work to be done generally before we could kind of step into a really good space. Um, but the school's going, and the faculty we hired are doing spectacular things. And Vietnam's response to COVID was was instantaneous, and they've been maskless and case free for I think a couple months now. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible, incredible. And how culture. do they keep it out of there? Um, well, I don't. It's their virus. I don't, well, <laughs> they're let. I know, right? They're letting very few international flights in, mm-hmm. and um, they're. Uh, you know, we wore masks regularly before COVID because of the air pollution mm-hmm. and because of um, it, there's sort of a, a sense in a culture that if you're not feeling well, you wear a mask in order to protect other people. It's it's like a, throughout Asia. Exactly right. It's I mean, it's not a weird thing. It's it's um it's an it's a social norm. Nobody looks at you sideways. No, and it's beautiful, right? Like the first time I had a student show up with a mask on, I was thinking, I wonder what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we had a conversation about it. And she said, I don't want to get everybody sick. And um, so so they already had a lot of um, pieces in place uh, to yeah. and trackings a lot easier in yeah. a mean, socialist I country. <laughs> to you know, it's because of the culture. That's so cool. So anyway. Yeah. So um, I was oh, you're in, in Vietnam. Chinese medicine school. Exactly. I was in Vietnam and um, I decided that I needed to do something different and I didn't know what it was going to look like at all. Uh, I had no idea where I was going to go with it. I had no idea what it meant. And I um, was, uh, so I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> which I've never done before. I, That's uh, a leap of faith. It was crazy. It was absolutely, I um, went to a authentic leadership course at Naropa University and um, they were poking and poking and poking and saying, you know, what's your joy? What's your joy? Is this, you know, are you doing, are you fulfilling yourself right now? And I kept sitting back saying, no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. And uh, one of the parts of the program is we got a coach. And um, my coach, uh, eventually, she she's from New York originally, and she's just a goddess and said, well, um, w- what's stopping you from doing this? Like, what's stopping you from quitting your job? I was like, well, what stops everybody from quitting their job? Money and, you know, status and what would I do? And so I had a couple of really great meltdowns and then I quit my job. I was almost surprised myself when I did it. Have you noticed that a meltdown and a breakthrough are like really, really similar? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm one of those, I hit a crisis point and then I have a, a couple dark moments that immediately turn into bright moments and I'm on another track. So yeah, I'm, I, that's, yeah, that's one of my, that's one of my deepest truths, I think about what life looks like. Mm-hmm. So I've got a question for you and this, this, this brings us to our, I mean, it's connected to our topic on marketing here. Right. That experience that you've had, how does that, how do I say this? 
when you think about marketing and you think about business, mm-hmm. the experience that you had that got you from Vietnam's not working to I'm going to acupuncture school, how does that connect with business and marketing? What are the what are the threads that you see that weave those together? Well, I think I think I will play pretty loosey goosey with my definition of business and marketing, great. and go back to that's what a, you were talking about idea. earlier, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not business and marketing. Are you but, Are you sure about that? How do you know you're not business and marketing? Well, so this is where I'm going to change my definition because okay. if I think about if I think about what I think of as like if like a business like a degree in business or a degree in marketing and, you know, tracking stats and, and demographics and business cards and going to the right events and talking to the right people. I'm way more heart led, I'm going to say than that. And so for me, if business and marketing is finding people who are looking for this medicine and bringing them to it. And if business and marketing is, about taking this medicine to people who need it and who don't have access to it, then um, I think that my path is quite, looks quite obvious then because Mm -hmm. it's going from being able to mentor and teach and work with students, which are a very small select population that usually are quite elite. (laughs) And then moving out to taking that sort of, I'm, I'm going to say mentoring um, mm-hmm. because my own doctor, my own TCM doc, who it actually introduced me to um, your podcast, was um, was also acted as a mentor for me as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Right. So when people ask you about acupuncture, how does it work? What does it do? You're actually going to come from the point of view of how can I help you get what you want in your life? Exactly, exactly, which I think is the beginning of business and marketing in that if we go way, way back before, you know, the psychologist got a hold of it, Mm -hmm. uh, it was about how do we get products that people need into their hands of the people who need them. That they need and that they want. And this to me is the difference between really good marketing and crappy marketing. Crappy marketing is people trying to push something on you that you really don't want and it feels invasive. And good mark, you know what good marketing feels like? No. It feels like somebody loves you and cares about you. Oh yeah. Okay. So so everyone has a an experience in many experiences of bad marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. And the classic is like the used car salesman. Mm-hmm. Where the classic is the person who calls you at dinner on your phone. Is trying to sell you a goddamn timeshare, right? Where the person do people who, still you know, do that? Right? I don't know. Because my phone is smart enough to go spam risk these days. Exactly. Um, so I don't, I don't pick that up. Or the person who tries to make you say yes, because if you keep saying yes, maybe you'll buy something, mm-hmm. right? We all mm-hmm. know what bad marketing feels like. But can you describe an experience that you had of great marketing? I can't, but I can, my husband just had it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, um, he bought a Subaru and they call you now instead of you going to the dealership mm-hmm. and they do these follow-up calls to walk you through your car. 
And he's a math professor. And the person who was doing the call was um, ended up being a math major mm. doing her, you know, side gig. And so they had this really great connection. And she was explaining why the Subaru. So the Subaru logo is made after the Pleiades constellation. But one of them's a binary star. And that's why there's six stars instead of seven. And so they had this incredible conversation. Ryan walked away with all of these, you know, deep understandings of like the tricks for his car and this real connection with what's actually a faceless, large, huge, enormous car maker. But but it's not faceless because it exactly. had that person. It had that exactly. person. Exactly. And what did they do? They made a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That bubble above the diaphragm. Exactly, exactly. The little fuzzy bit. And so one of the things that I was curious about, and one of the reasons I reached out to you is that's what you do. But see, I'm not doing marketing with the podcast. No, you're not doing marketing with the podcast, but you are bringing people to the medicine. Well, I. how do you see it that I'm bringing people to the medicine? Well, so my TCM doc recommended your podcast when I was asking questions and granted, like to be frank and honest, it's way over my head a lot of the time. And I really don't want it to be like, I'm excited to finish my program so that I can, you know, listen to some, am I saying that properly? Some acupuncture Mm -hmm. and um, walk away and know things. You don't have to wait till you graduate. I know, but I don't. You're already learning the principles. Exactly. But even before I was in, it, it has that feeling of I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm holding on and I'm putting things together. So it's, it's a beautiful, you know, it's, it's adult play. Yes. This is adult play, isn't it? Heiner Fruhoff um, says that in one of his lectures, that that feeling of putting the ideas together is adult play. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And I also know that I'm getting, you know, the superficial piece and that once I have more experience and knowledge, I'll be able to delve more deeply into it. I I would suggest you're not getting the superficial piece. I would suggest you're getting the foundational core. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. I, I would suggest you're getting the foundational core. You're getting the foundations now in school mm-hmm. that will allow you to hook everything else about Chinese medicine onto it. Right. right. You learn about the five phases, the acupuncture points, the Liu Jing, the six confirmations, mm-hmm. yin yang, triple burner, right? There, there's certain things in our medicine, regardless of what stream you decide to follow or streams you decide to follow, they all hone back to some basics some foundational fundamentals. Mm-hmm. That's what you're learning right now. There's a, there's a big thing in our profession I've noticed and and I trust me I've been there. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'm new to this, I don't know anything yet, I'm just a newbie, blah blah blah. Um bullshit. I mean, you might be oh, new to Chinese that. medicine, right? But you've got almost 50 years of life experience. You've got experience right. doing a whole bunch of other things. So you, none of that goes away. You bring all of that to this endeavor. So you're working on fundamentals right now. It's not superficial. It's the opposite of superficial. That's brilliant. That might be some of the best reframings that I've had. Because it's hard to think that it's, how do I put this? So 
you know, we all read the web that has no weaver and say, I'm going to go to Chinese medicine school and it's going to be awesome. And here I go. And then we get there and um, I don't know. Can you see this? Mm, I see it. Yeah. Um, So that was my partner um, in our acupuncture midterm yesterday, locating large intestine points. So we go, right? So Mm -hmm. we walk in and all of a sudden it's like standing at the edge of of a cliff and a vast ocean. And I'm, you know, holding the web that has no weaver in my hand. And that's the sum of my, what feels like real knowledge about Chinese medicine. And then I'm, you know, swan diving in Mm. with ink on my arms, trying to find the lung channel. We have a midterm in foundations due next week. That's questions are five elements, yin yang. Uh, We've got one on Confucian. So like there's this sense of um, this vast, vast pool of knowledge Mm -hmm. and where we know like the small little teeny. Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Yeah, I mean, at at this point, yes. But again, how do I say this? All right. Before I went into Chinese medicine, I worked in computers. Mm Mm-hmm. And I started doing computers in like the early mid eighties, back when all you had to do to be an expert in the field was decide you weren't afraid of them and you could demonstrate that you knew how to do something and you could get something done for somebody. Totally. Right. Totally. And, and I remember like having, you know, I'd like, people would ask me like, can I, you know, can you make my computer do X, Y, Z? And I go, Yes. And then I go home and figure it out so I could take them the next day. <laughs> right? Totally. Um, I, I just kind of fell into it. I, I had a knack for talking to people, even though I'm an introvert. Um, and I had a knack for, I can't write a line of code if you put a gun to my head, but I understand how the things fit together and I can make it do things. Right? Mm-hmm. I understand it as a tool. So my job when I was doing computers, I did it for like 10-ish years. My job was to help people solve problems that they couldn't solve on their own using a technology that they did not understand. That was my Gee, job. That sounds familiar. <laughs> and guess what I do with Chinese medicine? Exactly. I help solve problems they can't solve on their own using a technology they don't understand. I've got the same flipping job. That's amazing. Context is different. Right. Job is the same. 
guy doing the work. Same sort of like weird way of looking at the world. Not different, right? So everything that you already bring to the endeavor helps to infuse and inform the endeavor. Don't leave that behind. That's brilliant. That's, well, it's that's just, it, brilliant. It's true. Yeah, it's hard to get that perspective, though, when you're studying for midterms for the I first time it. since yeah, 1994. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, you're on the other side of the of the midterm now. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, get, I get that. You just keep at it, right? So that, yeah. it, and much like marketing and business, right. you may not think you know much about it, but I mean, you're married, so you know enough about marketing that you could sell yourself to someone who's like, yeah, I'll spend my life with you. Totally. Probably sold students on themselves more than once. Yeah. There's lots of ways. So mar- marketing, I think, is nothing more than effective communication in the service of helping people. Right. I wonder about, I wonder if you've ever thought about teaching a class on business and marketing. <laughs> you know, I'm like the anti-marketing guy. <laughs> I know, but it's so valuable, right? Because it's saying the, um, oh, what's the word I just learned? Oh, I won't remember. Search engine operators? Search engine 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 optimization. Optimization. Yes. I can teach a thing or two about that too. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. No, I mean, people, If well, I don't, actually these days I don't accept calls from the internet. Mm-hmm. If someone said they found me on the internet, I actually don't want to see them right now. Just, you know, COVID time. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they've been. I'm like, yeah, I found me on the internet. Yeah, good for you. Um, I'm only taking referrals from people that I know. Hopefully that will pass. But the SEO is good enough on my website. People rarely call to ask questions. They usually call to make an appointment. Oh, interesting. And that's because I have crafted my website in such a way that it answers a lot of questions. It demonstrates who I am. It says something about my character. And so people feel like they already know me. Mm -hmm. I I had that same experience when I was stalking you before our conversation. Okay, great. So there's ways of creating a website. There's ways of writing. I mean, there's a lot of thought behind that stuff that I've like noodled out over the years because I don't like going to events and glad handing people. Right. And and we're lucky enough to have the internet. There's a lot of ways of communicating with people that, so we don't have to do that obnoxious and uncomfortable face-to-face where we actually don't want to be talking to each other, but we're like stuck in doing it. Mm-hmm. The great thing about the internet is that people are looking for you. And if right. you can show them that you're, that you are the person that they're looking for, they're going to call you and say, I want to make an appointment. Yeah, I can teach that stuff. Well, and I wonder about, I wonder one of the biggest sort of background themes that I'm hearing with you already is this sense of it's the deeper intention behind the action. Mm. So, right? So there's a way that you can do SEOs where you're just trying to get you know, people tagging on your website, or there's a way that you can do SEOs that allows for uh, a connection that's already made before you even walk into the room. That's right? insightful. Yes, exactly. Right. That's right. So it, 
So it's using the tools and it sort of sounds like what you were saying about the, um, about your earlier job with computers back in the mid eighties, right? It's that sense of it's a tool and I'm going to use this as a tool mm-hmm. for in, in service of my own intentions, as opposed to what, you know, what, you know, Google and Facebook are collecting about me, right? Like what, what do, what is it that I'm actually going to use this for as opposed to what it is, what others might be using it for? Well, and there's a lot of experts out there that are happy to sell you their services. You know, I'm going to SEO your site. So a lot of people go out and buy SEO services. I'm going to get my site SEO'd. And there are certain things you need to do technologically. You have to have certain building blocks in place. No doubt about it. But the, the thing that SEOs your site more than anything else is the great content that you have on your site that is written for the person who's looking for you. It's not written for you. It's not showing you off. It's useful, accessible, readable information that demonstrates your personality and your expertise. That's the biggest right. SEO piece because you can buy a Google AdWord and get someone to land on your site. And if they look at it and go, whoop, not for me, you just wasted an AdWord and you paid for it too. But if you can be found on a natural search in your local area, which is where you want to be found, you want, you know, I don't want people in like in Chicago finding me. I can't help them. I want people in St. Louis finding me. And it's not hard to get found in a local search if you do it right. So you don't need to pay Google. But here's the thing. Getting on the first page of Google is one thing, and you can do it. You can do it organically, or you can pay your way to it. It doesn't matter. But the important thing is what happens when they hit your website. Do they go, yeah, fuck that. This is not what I'm looking for. Or do they go, this is exactly who I've been looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where your authentic voice is so important on your website. I don't hear anybody talking about authentic voice on your website. It's always SEO. Fix this, fix that. Here's a trick. How about a hashtag? No, it's your authentic voice. How much authenticity do you see on Instagram? It's all cherry picked. How much is, you know, same thing on Facebook. It's a cherry pick life out there. Mm -hmm. You can show some authenticity, man. People are thirsty for authenticity and and they know it when they see it. This is really interesting. I'm, um, I'm in my own search for a acupuncturist in Portland because we, you know, I moved here September 4th and, um, I got one for you. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot so, of great acupuncturists in Portland. I mean, you, a recommendation would also, I got a couple of recommendations. We'll do that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but it's interesting because I'm going through people's websites and yes. one of the people that I got in touch with, I got in touch with her because we have the same or very close to old pond turquoise ring that I picked up when I was traveling, um, in the Southwest and it means a lot to me. It was a really magical time. And I'm looking at a picture of this woman on her website and she just happens to have her hand like this. And I see this ring and I'm all of a sudden reaching out to her because I'm thinking, oh, she has something that means a lot to her, which is like the thing that means a lot to me. So we already have a connection based on the story I'm telling myself in my head over this ring that we share in common. And, you know, as a psychologist, um, of course, 
right? Like that's what psychologists study and how we make connections and how we do in-groups and out-groups and all of those sorts of pieces. But it's so remarkable when, um, when, when you, you sort of are able to step back from your own life and get, um, get, be able to be objective to what you're subjective to and say, oh, that's why I'm doing this. I'm reaching out to this woman because we have the same ring. Yes. So I think this is really important. What you just said about in-groups and out-groups, I think that's really important too. A lot of acupuncturists think we should be able to sell our services to everybody. We mm. can heal the world. We're acupuncturists. Kumbaya. We're going to heal the world. We are, but not the whole world. We're going to heal a portion of it. And there are people that are the people that are right for us to treat and there are people that are not, I think it's really helpful to like name the out group. Mm-hmm. So oh. number one, they don't call you and waste their time and yours. But when you name the out group, you're also in a way dog whistling to your in group mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. that you want. So it's one like, of the, mm-hmm. and, and you know, this from the, from psychology, right? Super powerful. Oh, those guys over there, we're not like them. We're people like this. People like us do things like this. Yeah. It's interesting because we, uh, so one of our tasks in this class is actually to name our ideal client uh, and put them together. And I, uh, we did this when we started one of the universities that I was involved with. We used straight up design thinking and, mm-hmm. you know, there were personas and we had pictures attached to them and names attached to them. And as we did things, we would stop and say, would so-and-so whose picture's on the wall so that we remember that we're doing this work for this so-and-so person, how would that particular student react to this admissions process or nice. to this whatever? Nice. But naming the outgroup is the hidden piece, right? It's the shadow piece to it because I might be naming who I want to work with and at the back of my head have an ongoing, but I don't want to work with that person. I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to serve that person. That's, you know, that's for whatever reason, I don't actually quite think mm-hmm. I know. You can make an avatar for the person who you don't want. It'll help you clarify your values. Yeah. And, and, and maybe clarify your values in a way that so Naropa did a really interesting thing where we had to come up with our values and they want oh sorry it wasn't Naropa it was um another organization I worked with and we uh we they wanted to get us down to two and the way that we got down to two was they were written on a piece of paper and your partner took it away from you and the visceral reaction you had allowed you to determine whether you were like which of the three you were keeping because somebody was taking it away from you. Mm-hmm. And so that sense of, of, like, of like saying, you know what, Bob who does this and is like this and, um, you know, holds this set of values, I'm not going to do is really is a really powerful way of, of really working with the positive aspect of who, who it is that you're you're excited to and you feel like you you have the ability to work with versus yes. who you're not like I'm not going to make a difference with you. Yeah. So so for someone like Bob, mm-hmm. and, and here's how, and you can still be helpful to Bob. 
Right. Right. Because if you know who Bob is and what Bob's values are, uh, you might be able to make a referral to Bob that would be helpful for Bob. It's like, oh, you're Bob. Right. You know what? I got just a place that I think will be very helpful for you. Right. right. Let me give you an example. When people call me and the first thing they say is, I've got a couple questions. Right. Because, I mean, they don't always call for appointments. They usually do. But sometimes they call. And when they say, I've got a couple questions, I know I'm probably not going to see them. Do you know what the first question is? What? How much does it cost? Oh, wow. So if the first question out of their mouth is how much does it cost? I know that the most important thing to them is that it doesn't cost much, right? Because people don't call around to go, who's the most expensive acupuncturist in town? I want to see them. They don't do that. They call around to see who's the, you know, if, if they're asking about price. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing to them. I know I'm going to send them to the community clinic. Yeah. Right. Or I tell them my price and they go, oh, can I get it for less? It's like, yes, you can over at the community clinic. Wow. And give them the phone number. You know, I'm able to be helpful to them for the thing that's important to them. That's so interesting. What's interesting about that? What's interesting about that is, um, well, so a little bit of self-realization, I can't imagine asking a doctor about price. We're not doctors. I mean, in in in, in, in American culture, we're not doctors, right? They wouldn't. Have, they would not ask a doctor about price. You're right. You wouldn't ask a doctor about price or negotiate. You know, could I nope. get that? Mm-hmm. You know, Mm-mm. skin cancer removed from yeah. my arm for a little bit less, please. Well, actually, you can negotiate that stuff if you want to go pay cash and not use insurance. You actually really? can negotiate that stuff. I, oh, I should, I need to disclose something. I'm Canadian. Oh, um, okay. So you so don't, ah, all right. Yeah. I'm like, you have healthcare. I'm just learning America yeah. in a whole bunch of different ways that hit the pocketbook over and over again. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So uh, uh, can I ask a different question? Ask about, yeah. So we're not doctors. Can you tell me more about that? Can you say more about what that means and what the layers of that are for you? Oh, boy. Um, That's a broad question. So in the consensus conventional culture, Mm -hmm. we're not doctors. We don't have a white coat. We don't have an MD. What's what's a doctor? Doctor is an MD. They've been through medicine school and they've been through the hazing of being an intern and all that goes with it right? They're in the conventional system. That's what a doctor is. We're acupuncturists. We're these like, I mean, we're doing medical stuff. We're helping mm-hmm. people with their health, but we're, we're this like weird thing over on the side, even if insurance does cover it, even if you're living on the West Coast and everyone's got their own acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. From, the, from the point of view of conventional culture, we're not doctors. Right. I know we have doctorates these days, and we can call ourselves a doctor. We're not doctors. And if you conflate, I mean, this is just my own, you know, mm-hmm. noisy opinion. I, I think we do ourselves a great disservice if we say, I'm a doctor and you should think of me as a doctor. You can't tell people what to think. They got Everyone's got their own idea. And if you're going to stand up and go, I'm a doctor and you should treat me like a doctor, that's not fair to the person who's looking for your help. They're just looking mm. for your help. You know, what they, you know, what someone else thinks about me is not my business. My, you know, my job is to help people if I can. That's really interesting. 
one of the one of the ongoing things that we see at universities is there's sort of a cohort of faculty who say, call me by my first name. Like, don't call me Dr. Bola. I don't know who that person is. Mm-hmm. Um, call me Megan. This is, uh, I, I feel more comfortable teaching if we are students together in the room mm-hmm. and we're doing this work together. But then there's also a cohort of young faculty members who come out and they're like, no, damn it, you are yeah. going to call me doctor. Call me doctor, God I need somebody to give me this authority and I need somebody to acknowledge, right? And so that's the piece that I'm so curious about because essentially what what you just what I what I just heard you saying was it doesn't matter. Because at base, I'm not going to force you, ask you, demand of you, command you to think a particular way about my services. Because what I'm more interested in is helping you with what's going on for you, which is really different. Yeah, which is really different than call me doctor. Yeah. And are my services helpful? Well, judge by the results. If they're helpful, then please come back and see me more. And if they're not, then get the hell out of here and go find someone who can help you. Hopefully I can help make a referral. Right. The point you just made that there are some people, call me Megan Mm -hmm. or, you know, call me doctor. You honed that, you honed that back to authority. And I think, I think this is really important. I think this is a key thing. Uh, authority. How do we feel about authority? Do we like, you know, are are we willing to be an authority? Do we need the status of a a stethoscope around our neck in a white coat to be an authority? Or can I stand on simply my clinical work in a pair of blue jeans and a flannel shirt? Mm -hmm. And, And I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I think we all have our own paths. Right. Some people want to wear that white coat and a stethoscope. I don't know why the hell you'd have a stethoscope in Chinese mm-hmm. medicine. That makes no sense to me whatsoever, other than signaling in a marketing way, this means medicine. And for a right. certain group of patients, they're going to want to see that. That actually is important to them. And so if you're the kind of patient that needs for your acupuncturist to look like a Western doctor, then you should go see one that looks like that. Right. That, that means they're not going to come see me, which is yeah. fine. You know, uh, the beautiful thing, I think, about the work that we do is that we do get to bring our heart into it. And we get to bring our spirit into it. And we get to bring all of our curiosity. We get to help people. We get to mentor people. We get to learn from our patients every single day. You know, how we want to walk that path is up to us. And, and, and in some ways, I think the best marketing is when we're true to ourselves, whatever being true to ourselves means, and we're doing things that are congruent for us. The best, con- the best marketing is congruency. Mm-hmm. And, and that means some degree of knowing who you are, how you work, who you want to work with, who you don't want to work with. And I'm not so crazy about right and wrong. Let's just say there are some things that are maybe more or less helpful you know, on any given path. And of course, you know, you've lived long enough. I have too. You, so often the failures and the things that didn't work, oh, I'm supposed to do it like this and you try it. It's like, that doesn't work. Yeah. And oh, yeah. sometimes you fall into something or you just, 
you just like surrender. It's like, well, this is just what I do. And if someone doesn't like it, well, too bad for them. And and then you find yourself surrounded by the kind of people that you want to be around. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. It's a curious journey. Well, and I wonder if part of that, a part of part of that also is then you're we're living lives. So congruency, yes. And then we're also living lives that are our lives mm. as opposed to the lives that are um, perhaps not our lives or perhaps um, we're trying too hard to, um, you know, drive our BMWs and have our multi-million dollar condos with the beach view. Really? And it's like, and if you're a Subaru person, you're driving a BMW, not the right car. No, absolutely not the right car. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You cannot go off ride and off road in a BMW and go camping. Um, I wonder about how we embed something like a search for authenticity and an authentic self into a Chinese medicine school. I wonder where that piece is. Where it's um, I've got a couple instructors that are definitely doing it and doing it in some spectacularly beautiful ways in, you know, my first month of school. And I wonder how that gets woven through an entire program so that people are leaving and they're not thinking, not everyone is thinking, the way I'm going to make it is I'm going to get into Nike because it's just around the corner and I get to stay in Portland and I'll work with Nike and I'll make a million dollars because I'll be their special acupuncturist. I don't know if Nike has a special acupuncturist, but you know, like how do we embed um, if what you want to do is work with, I don't know, climbers and mountain bikers and live in Moab, you figure out how to, you know, if that's, if that's your, you know, your diaphragm bubble that makes you happy, how do you, how do you get creative and how do you get solid enough in yourself that you're saying when you're 25 or 26, I'm going to work with climbers and mountain bikers at Moab. And I'm, you know, I'm going to set my practice up in, you know, the, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a climber. How the hell would (laughs) anyone know what to do with their life at 25 or 26? Well, that's it. No, no, seriously. I I mean, you're, you're 50. I'm a little over 60. This is, this is not, this is not to dismiss all y'all's out there listening that are, you know, 25 or 26, but you know, I think about me at 25, 26, whoa, really life is, was life has turned out to be so much more interesting yes, and so yes. much more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, I didn't know how much I had inside myself that had yet to unfold. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you do at 25 what you do at 25. And we make mistakes all the way along. We have these incredible successes and super lucky breaks all the way along. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think you want to be Nike super special uh, myofascial acupuncturist, then Go do it. Go, you know, like go try it out. What's the worst that can happen? You learn something more about something you're interested in. Mm. 
-hmm. And maybe you decide to do something else after a period of time. But you know what? Anyone living a life that's worth living at some point is going to say, you know what? I'm ready to go do something else right now. Mm -hmm. Signing to do something else doesn't mean failure. It just means it's like, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. Yeah. Just take what you got and go see what happens. The path will tell you how to walk it. Have you found that to be true? I bet you. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I I worked with a woman once and she used to call it. Oh, how did you put it? I was wearing, she, she, she led in with, did you ever have a piece of clothing when you were a little kid that you loved Mm -hmm. and you like loved that piece of clothing and then you outgrew it. She's like, what did you do? I'm like, Oh God, I wore that piece of clothing as long as I could. And when I outgrew it, I, you know, I'm pretty sure actually I cut the bottom off and made it into a headband. Like it was, yes. it was the seventies. Yes. And, 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 and here's the other thing. I don't think we throw anything away. No, we just reutilize it into something that's, you know, I needed a headband more than I needed that beautiful cowgirl skirt that That's my dad right. bought me. And then at some point, you didn't need the headband either. Exactly. Got, exactly. But it, you know, it got to accompany you through a certain stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I often will think about people in my life who are going through rough times. And one of my questions is, mm. You know, are you wearing clothes that are too small? Like, are you outgrowing oh this life, right? Are you, is this, you know, are, are you ready to shed? And I think that I tend to be a fast shedder. Mm-hmm. So I tend to feel, you know, I tend to be the, the one that's a little bit itchy. And then the next thing I know, I've like ripped my skin off and I'm trying something new. And, you know, it has problems that comes along with it as well. It has problems and opportunities. Exactly. And I think that sense of we talk a lot and I can't tell you how many parents I've said, you know, your child will have three to five careers and several of them are jobs that we've never even thought of before. Blah, blah, blah. Right. It's a really it's a really common university admissions pitch right now. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Well, because it's so true. I mean, look, I've been doing this podcast now Okay, geological three years prior to that, everyday acupuncture, 
Um, so I've been at this for five, maybe going on six years. It's hard to, to keep count. Okay. So 10 years ago, podcasting didn't exist. Well, it, it actually 10 years ago, it barely existed as like a really geeky subset in the internet world. 10 years ago, mm-hmm. just 10 years. Yeah. Right. And now it's ubiquitous. So the, the job I have now, much like the job I had when I was creating that computer job, didn't really exist when I, it was like beginning to exist. And I think our practices are the same way. We, we don't know what it's going to be. It's going to teach us what it is. Right. And so it helps to, to be able to be comfortable with uncertainty. It helps to be comfortable with ambiguity. It helps to be okay with I'm setting in this direction, but I don't know what it all looks like right now. I know that at the end, it means I've got a clinic somewhere. I know that at the end, it means that I've got enough skills that my patients can now be my teachers. Mm. Oh, nice. Um, But in terms of like, you know, a 1950s job, you know, welcome to the machine, uh, punch this, this clock and we have a pension program for you when you retire. Well, that world's completely gone. And, you know, in terms of like, what kind of job are you going to have, you know, with Chinese medicine? Well, you know, I've been at this for a while. So there were no jobs. I mean, it, it, when I went to Chinese medicine school, it was very clear. You're going to have your own clinic because there were no J-O-Bs out there for acupuncturists. Mm-hmm. So I knew I would be self-employed. And I think the vast majority of us are going to be self-employed. So how are you with the ambiguity of like running your own business of, mm-hmm. of, and of, of being able to embrace business? I'm a big fan of, of the practice of business is every bit as important as the practice of our medicine. There are two sides of the coin. Right to say that you're an acupuncturist running your own business, but it's like, well, I'm an acupuncturist. I'm not a business person. Well, if you're running a business, yes, you are. And, and if you don't inhabit that, you're going to cause yourself a lot of trouble, and you're not going to be of much service to your patients. Because any place that you're pushing away and going, oh, I, you know, oh, I don't deal with money. Any patient that comes in has money issues. You're not going to be. You know about shadow stuff. Right? Any patient that comes in and trips your trigger on your shadow material, you are not going to be able to help them, in, at least in that domain. Right. Right. So our businesses are this beautiful opportunity to find out more about who we are and who, right. and, and more importantly, maybe who we're not. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Down here, you don't serve. Uh, how did you, how did you go? How did you start a podcast? How did you start Geological? How did that, what was that birth like? So, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Um, so first I started everyday acupuncture. And here's why. I had taken a sabbatical. I was at a Zen center for four months. So I came back to my practice and I thought, I need to practice talking to people again. So I went to one of those glad handing network things that was just down the street that I hate to go to. <laughs> and I'm a guy there. And he says, I do podcasting. And I'm thinking, so what big deal? He said, well, you know, it can be really good for your business. And I go, dude, I got a website that has people calling me, asking for appointments. Like, why would I want to podcast? And he says, oh, well, the people that listen to your podcast are not the same as the people that would read your website. You know that that you get above your diaphragm? 
Yeah. I get something different when I hear words like that. It's not a bubble. It's more like the earth kind of goes. Wug, 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 wug. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, huh? I think he's right. How do I test that? It's like, it's like, okay, I think I want to play with this. I don't know. What am I going to do with it? My business is already fun. I don't need a podcast for my business. But I think there's something to this podcast. What do I do? I mean, I used to live on the West Coast. I'd be hanging out with all my Chinese medicine friends all the time. And, you know, we'd be yakety yakking. But I've been in, in, in the Midwest for a few years at that point and feeling isolated. Mm. Maybe I could do a podcast where I like talk to my Chinese medicine friends. What would we do? And I was like, okay, what if we did a podcast? What if I did a podcast that was for the general public? I'm not trying to sell me, but maybe I could sell acupuncture. That would be helpful. And so I'm going to talk to people that know Chinese medicine well enough that they can talk about it in everyday plain English. Because nice. one of the problems with learning Chinese medicine is now we learn this new language and way of talking, and it's really hard to talk to civilians. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't like using Chinese medicine nomenclature with my patients because they don't understand. I'm not here to teach them Chinese medicine. I'm here to help them. So I thought, I'm going to do this podcast on different topics in Chinese medicine. Maybe people will find it helpful. Maybe they'll find a practitioner. So I started doing that. It was really fun because I like tech and, you know, I could play with different tools and I could talk to my friends. We had great conversations. I learned something every time I did it. And then I started getting emails from acupuncturists saying, this is great. I love it. And I was like, what the hell? I didn't make this for you. <laughs> I mean, for the general public, what, what? I mean, it was, it was very surprising. I mean, it totally took me by surprise. Um, so I continued with that. And then I thought, huh, well, acupuncturists like it too. Maybe I should do one that's like deep and geeky, right? The opposite of this other one. We're going to go like deep and geeky into Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the interesting thing is about any business, bringing this back to business because that's our conversation today, right? Anytime you can really dig into a niche, like runners who wear Nike shoes, people, you know, fertility, um, migrant, I mean, whatever it is, right? I and mean, we all know that specialties are helpful because people are really looking for help in certain areas. So niches are great places to go. Turned out because my audience, instead of being the general public, was now strictly acupuncturists, guess what I could do? I could get advertising to people that wanted to reach out to acupuncturists. So now the thing can pay for itself. Ooh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of what got the whole thing going. It started off as this like, ooh, podcasting, that's interesting. Let me play with that. And six years down the road, you and I are having this conversation. That's so amazing. So that's how that went. What do you ever, I was thinking about this. I was, um, as in one of, actually, when I decided to go back to school, my mother-in-law set up a conversation with an acupuncturist friend of hers who did exactly the same path and just before 50 went back to school. Mm -hmm. um, and the acupuncturist is amazing. She was an amazing, amazing woman. And I was in uh, Toby Daly's nutrition workshop 
And I was scanning through the names and Maggie's name was there. And so we were having this offline texting message. And I was laughing at the fact that Geological has come through with both of my two mentors outside. And which then got me thinking about how much they use what they learn in their own practices, which leads me to how much do you use what you learn in your podcast on your own patient? I I, I learn new things all the time. And some of them, I will never, like, I can't say I learn them. I get exposed to them through certain guests. And and, and I love the journey and I love the conversation, but I'm never going to work that way because it's just, it's not me. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to know about it. And there's other people sometimes will have a conversation. They'll say something. I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Let me, let me see how that shows up in my clinic this afternoon. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you participate in every one of the continuing ed units that you do? Do you also, do you host them? Do you participate in them? How do you, what's your role in that? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> um. I host them. Uh-huh. I'm I'm the technical support for it, right? I make sure you know. I'm I also, you know, I'm like the lead geek down in the geological sound and motion labs. Right. So yeah, all the online stuff. I make sure that it's running. I mean, at some point, I'd love to have someone else doing that, but you know, it's it's a small media company right now, so I have to wear a lot of hats. But I kind of like the tech, and I found that it. Much to my surprise, I enjoy being kind of the host of the experience. That's that's surprising to me, being as I'm a bit of an introvert. But I, I like the hosting piece, and I think it's just because I like being connected to people in our profession. Mm-hmm. I just I just find it a really I get a deep sense of nourishment from being connected to other practitioners, and 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 I think there's something else too. Some people are really deep, like in content areas, like like Toby with Saam, right? Or, you know, like so many of the people that I, you know, that I talk to, I mean, they're, they're deep experts and teachers in what they do. I, I thought I would maybe be like that after 20 years of practice, but it turns out I'm not. But I seem to have like a personality or just something that I like hook people together. It's not that I'm like a content expert, but I seem to have kind of a knack, much like when I first got started with computers. Oh, you've got this problem to solve. Here's a technology here. We cross these two wires. Magic happens. Right. And and I think my role has been as, as kind of a, a catalyst. You bring these two things together, create a spark. Now these two things like work even better, right? And they're connected. It's not me. It's not about me. It's about, you know, what other people have to share with each other. If there's any, I think that's kind of the role that that's been mine to play. And and the podcast has been, has just kind of grown naturally out of that. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, I, I host those. Um, I learn from them and I make them available as, you know, ongoing education so that other people can learn as well. Because again, my job is to be a catalytic spark. 
Mm-hmm. And you do that really well. There's a there's been a number of times on different podcasts where you've asked questions in this way that isn't that is uh, that that makes me feel like I'm eavesdropping on a conversation as opposed to, you know, there's podcasts where you feel it's all really smooth and you feel like you're listening to a podcast. And then there's that like joy of participating in a conversation. And there's been a number of times where you've asked questions that you've said, oh, oh, wait, wait, is it like you take lung five and you do blah, blah, and, and you'll ask a question that opens up the conversation for to sort of showcase what the guest is saying and thinking about as well as this this like sense of for the listener I'm eavesdropping on an authentic conversation that's happening between two people who respect each other which we don't model enough of these days right Hmm. So two things about that. One, thank you. These are authentic conversations. Mm-hmm. When I sit down to, to talk with somebody, I don't know much. I don't want to know much about them yet because I want the discovery to happen in the conversation. So that that's really important. And even someone that I know well, we're going to pick up a topic and we have, you know, it's like we both have juice for it, but we haven't really gone through it because mm-hmm. I want that sense of discovery. I think that's really important. And in the other piece, I just forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Damn it. It was good. I know it was going to be good. Well, yeah, but not good (laughs) enough to remember. Um, You were saying something about the authenticity of the conversation. Okay. so, So a piece of that also is I remember when I was in acupuncture school, there's a lot of pressure on like, you know, being smart and knowing stuff and not asking stupid questions and, and all that. And I can remember so many times I'd be in a class and the teacher would be saying something and I was just not following. <laughs> right? I can't imagine what that experience is just, like. Yeah, right? <laughs> And so what I would say to myself is, well, I just don't know much right now. And, you know, maybe, maybe when I, you know, I'm not superficial and, and I know something and I've been practicing, maybe I'll understand. I'm just kind of too stupid right now. I remember saying that kind of stuff to myself. And you know what? That was a disservice. Mm. It was a disservice for a couple of reasons. Number one, if I got the question, it's worth asking. Number two, there's a bunch of times people were not explaining things very well. Or in the case of certain people, actually, I think they were full of shit. And a well-pointed question like, wait a minute, could you like back up? Because A, you say A equals B, make me a bridge here because I don't follow it. I just, and I, I think it's because I've had some experience practicing. I'm much more comfortable these days going, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. How do those things hook together? You say they hook together. How's that work? What do you mean? Wait. Imperial fire generates ministerial fire? Wait a minute, but you're talking about the heart. How does the heart create the ministerial fire of the triple burner, right? Wood creates fire. How's that work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it turns out the answer is, oh, well, if you're looking at the 
five phases, you won't see that. But if you're looking through the six confirmations, then you'll see how it works. So sometimes there are answers, but sometimes there's not. And I didn't challenge those teachers, right? Because I was just afraid, of, you know, I'm going to be stupid. I'm going to, you know, sound bad or, you know, whatever. I'm not so afraid of sounding stupid these days. Mm-hmm. I'm used to it. I think it's part of the joy of getting older. Um, it's interesting, though, to go through it backwards because I was terrified of sounding stupid when I was first going through school. And then as a professor, that was my job was to step back and say, these two things go together. How do you put them together? Like, uh, what are some ideas? How do we do this? Let's bring it together. Let's, you know, let's try this. Let's practice. Yes, and yes. But that is a lot of trust. I need to trust them. They need to trust me. And I need to be able to hold that container so that it's uncertain, but safe enough. Uncertain, but safe enough. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. Exactly. Right? Yes. So if, so if I hold you here, I'll always get the answer I want. So I'm putting my hands in a small mm-hmm. space in front of me. If I, if I hold the students in sort of a fairly tight space, there's not a lot of room for them to bounce back and forth and they can't, um, they don't get to make mistakes because I'm controlling the experience so much. I can control the experience so it feels uncertain for them if I step back and give them a broader playground to play in. And so by doing that, like that's what I do. That's how I teach. That's how I teach faculty to teach. And now I'm back in classrooms and it's an entirely different experience where I realize that I'm having to overcome my own fears, my own lack of trust in whether I'm being held by the teacher or not. And my own sense of where's like, where are the boundaries of the uncertainty and grades matter. So there's such a, it's such a different. um, So grades matter. But but not really. But how much do they matter? Yeah. They don't matter that much. They they matter, but how much do they matter? Right. Yeah, And and here's, here's the great thing. And this is the great thing about being, you know, close to 50. Mm-hmm. You can hold yourself, yeah. right? You don't need the teacher to do it. I mean, it's nice if the teacher does it, mm-hmm. right? But it's not required anymore. You have enough experience on both sides of the learning. And you know something about the process of learning. So like, who's teacher, who's student? Now... There's a good question for a podcast. Who's teacher? Who's student? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can hold yourself. And, and I suspect we could do that at any age. Um, it's just that if you've got more experience doing it, it's going to be a little easier because you're familiar with the territory of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, I feel like we, um, I, I wonder actually, and you're reframing there, if it's not if it's not about trusting the teacher to hold it so much as it's I don't know how to give up control of holding myself. Does that make sense? I don't know how mm-hmm. to more. you know, like I don't know how to I'm so used to holding myself that I don't really know what it looks like to say, okay, here. You hold the classroom and me in it. Like, I think it might be a little bit more about what it feels like when you're so used to being 
the one who holds mm-hmm. to then step back and say, you know, I can, I can help hold here. I can give up holding. I'm not giving up holding, you know, like that. It's a different set of options than when you're, you know, 20 going through your first degree and you just don't know what it means to be an adult, right? Like, I think there's a, I think there's a different play there. Yes. Yes. And so this is one of, this is one of the benefits of coming to this study at the time that you do is you know something about yourself. You've got an inner teacher, so to speak, mm-hmm. that, that can help guide you through the process. Now, can you memorize stuff like a 25-year-old can? Mm, probably not. All right. Can you stay up and burn the midnight oil till 2.30 in the morning several days in a row? Mm, probably not. No. Um, but the stuff that you know about who you are and how you learn and so you don't have to brute force it in the same way. Yeah, I I've been learning that. Um, I've been learning one of the one of the I was talking to somebody about this is that we forget how much power teachers have over the lives of their students, mm. even down to when things are due and what's due. And I was joking that maybe the way that we do faculty development in the future is we put the faculty in like each faculty has to take an undergrad class as an undergrad in order to really see what it feels like to take that seat of the student back after you've been taking the seat of the teacher. And it it, like a lot of things in our lives. So um, like yoga, I can teach yoga and I take yoga and I flip that back and forth all the time, but we have so much, status, money, power, authority invested in who the teacher is and who the student is, especially at universities, that we don't flip that seat ever. Mm -hmm. And not flipping that seat, I think, does our faculty a disservice and does our students a disservice as well. I think there's... Well, we started off this conversation about marketing. We've certainly (laughs) ranged a long way. Um. (laughs) So getting close to winding this down. So I want to see, do you have any other questions about marketing that are, that are burning and and you want to get those out? No, what's actually um, just a plug for authentic conversation is that I had a list of 10 questions that Mm. I wanted to get to. And we have gotten to um, in a way that is better and fuller, all of them, than if we had have been doing a question and answer session. So here's to authentic conversation. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of unwind themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out. And, uh, and, and I hope it's been helpful. And I hope that uh, the folks listening to this will find it helpful. And, and thank you so much for having the courage to uh, like jump on and do a podcast like this as, as part of your class project. And I wanted to say thank you back for being so gracious because I have to say I was nervous when I was writing the, hey, will you talk to me about my business class? It'll be really fun. It's fun. It was fun. Well, your response was so gracious and so kind. And so, yeah, let's, let's talk about this and we can, you know, this might be helpful for other people. Let's help people. And that's so rare and so valuable. And I'm just so grateful for that. So thank you also 
for your time and for having some of the best advice that I've been given in the last decade. Seriously. Seriously. I, I've been, I, my notes, one of my notes. So here's my big take home. Um, Michael says, be authentic, be congruent in your relationships, do stuff and don't worry about it and help people. Hmm. That's a pretty amazing, amazing hour and a half All right. on a Tuesday well, morning. Let's check in again in a year or two. And that sounds fabulous. See where you're at with things and we'll sit down and, and just see how things have gone since then. How's that sound? That sounds fabulous. I think it's a great idea. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. In these past couple of weeks, the podcast has brought you students who were in their 50s. The Chinese have a saying, Huo Dao Lao, Xue Dao Lao, live long and learn your whole life through. You might think it takes more courage to make a change of career later in life, but I suspect it's not the case because we bring everything that we've already learned. We bring our skills, our inquisitiveness, and more than that, we bring our ability to learn, which is more finely honed at age 50 than it was at age 25. I so appreciate the perspectives that Megan and Barry have shared with us over these past two weeks. And I'm reminded of a phrase I've heard. You're not too old, and it's not too late. Got something you want to do? If you can honestly put your heart into it, then get started. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.